Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Isn't it fun to talk about a miraculous, wonderful story like Peter escaping from prison? That's going to be fun. It's going to be great. However, it all starts with a terrible tragedy, a terrible, painful experience that the believers had. Here is the setup for Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Acts 12, starting in verse 1. Let's read the first three verses, and then we'll get on to what happens with Peter. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So James, the brother of John, not just one of the twelve, one of the three. James, John, and Peter were the three. James, the brother of John, Boanerges, the sons of thunder, the ones that their mother came to Jesus and said, let one of my sons sit at your right, the other at your left in your kingdom. James is put to death with the sword and he gets one little verse in Acts chapter 12. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, Sometimes you read in the scriptures a verse and you don't realize how much was actually going on. I mean, this would have been a big event. In noticing how much of Acts chapter 12 is devoted to the story of Peter and how much of it is devoted to the story of James made me think, I wonder how much we're supposed to be thinking about the blessings of God and how much we're supposed to be thinking about the trials and the difficulties. How much of our mental attention should be going to the good things, the ways God has rescued us and taken care of us, and how much of our mental energy should be going towards the bad things, the difficult things. James gets one verse. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That must have been a very painful thing. Verse 3, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Herod is trying to win some political points. He knows that the Jews have whatever it was, a large voting constituency, or somehow he needed to make them happy. And so he ended up taking James and having him killed, and people were happy. His uh, public opinion rating is getting higher, and so he goes ahead and captures Peter, and he has him put in prison. Now, do you think that the church prayed for James? When he was in prison, when he was captured by Herod, the evil king who murders people at his whim, do you think the church prayed for James? What happened? Herod had him put to death with the sword. How would it have felt to be part of the early church, to have seen the great miracles, to have been there on the day of Pentecost, to have seen all of these things, and then you get together and you pray, and James is in prison, one of the three. I mean, Stephen comes on the scene quick, then he gets martyred, you know. That's how these storylines are supposed to work. Somebody on the fringe gets attention, and then they die. But one of the core people, James, James is put to death, and it must have been just a shot to the heart of the people who were praying and expecting God to come through. The question we're going to look at today is how do we handle disappointment? If you are a person of prayer, you are also a person who's been disappointed. If you are a person of prayer, you will have testimonies to tell, and you will have great disappointments. You will have moments where you've seen the miraculous hand of God move, 
and you will have days where you desperately need God to take care of a situation and it just didn't happen. How do we handle disappointment? How do Christians handle disappointment when they pray? Now, if the early church prayed for James and James was put to death with the sword, then don't you think sometimes when we pray, it might not work out how we want? This is the early church. I mean, man, they saw amazing, amazing things over and over and over again. And when they prayed, they didn't always get what they wanted. So how do Christians respond to disappointment? This is disappointment in prayer. They pray for something, it doesn't work. They pray for the healing, it doesn't happen. They pray for the financial miracle, it doesn't happen. They pray for the relationship to be restored, it doesn't happen. How do we respond to disappointment in prayer? I've got a big list here. First one, begin to pray mushy prayers that can't go unanswered because of how they're worded. Well, Lord, bring healing if you want, because that'd be cool, but of course we don't necessarily need that. If there's something better, that's fine. If the, if the not healing is the way it needs to be, then that's cool. Amen. You ever prayed like that? <laughs> what are you praying for? It's just mushy. I like to pray for something specific, and I'd rather have it not happen than pray something mushy. I'm going to pray for the healing to happen. I'm going to pray for the relationship, that marriage to be great. I'm going to pray for the problem to be solved. Because when we do that, we see a higher percentage of effectiveness. But we also see disappointment. But you have to persevere in that. So we want to watch out for mushy nothing prayers. The next one, how do Christians handle disappointment in prayer? Blame somebody. Blame the person you're praying for. Well, if they had had enough faith to receive the blessing, they would have got it. But they didn't have enough faith. It's not my fault. Oh, I don't know that the pastor who prayed for him must have sin in his life because that didn't get answered. It's got to be the pastor's fault. Oh, I don't know. It's God and his sovereignty. It's his fault. He decided not to do this. I'm mad at God now. You know, blame somebody. Is that helpful? That's not so good. Now, one of the things that's just a simple fact is we don't know everything that's going on. And so there's more to the scenario than what we can see. So I do believe that sometimes God sees our heart and he knows that if we had the whole picture that we would pray something different and he may answer a different prayer than the specific one we pray because he's got a greater perspective. One of the things that we'll see as we read through this chapter is that when Peter miraculously escapes from prison, all the guards are put to death by Herod. So it's not like a happily ever after for everybody. And I was working through developing this sermon with Christian Winter from Morgan Park, who's on the teaching team, and he's teaching this this morning. Basically, we were talking about it and the idea of, well, maybe God was being merciful to the guards by allowing James to be killed. Because if James got out, the guards would have been killed then. And maybe there's just something going on to where they needed a little more time. or We don't know. There's a lot more going on. So, There are times where we just have to rest in the sovereignty of God, the knowledge of God, to make the right decision. But I'm still going to pray a specific prayer from my perspective and trust God at the same time. Next one, pray prayers of duty, but not prayers of faith. Have you ever prayed because you knew you were supposed to, but you had absolutely zero confidence that what you were praying for would happen? Yes, I will pray for you to be healed. Of course, you won't be, but I'll pray. Anybody pray a prayer like that? Like, I know I'm supposed to, so I will, but I know it's not going to happen. This is what happened 
to the church after James was killed. And we'll see that shortly. What are some other things we can do? Become disillusioned and quit praying. Some people create whole new theologies where God doesn't do anything anymore. Well, we prayed, nothing happened, so let's create a new theology. We'll become cessationists. God doesn't do anything anymore. Well, God still does things. Don't be disillusioned. Here's what we need to do. This is the last one on the list. Or we can keep praying in faith, but keep learning and getting better. Keep praying in faith, but keep learning and getting better. Don't blame anybody. Don't get mushy. Don't start praying prayers of duty, but you have no faith for them. Don't become disillusioned or create new theologies. Instead, keep praying in faith, but keep learning and getting better. One of the great examples of this is some years ago, I realized the difference between praying a healing prayer and then believing for deliverance, praying a deliverance prayer. If there's a demon that's causing the physical problem and you just keep talking to the body, then it's not going to get better. You got to get the demon out of there. That might be a little, little out there for some people, but it's the reality of it. If you don't cast the demon out and you're just, you know, wanting the physical body to be healed, you're not going to have much effectiveness. One of our ladies on the prayer team had tinnitus, had the ringing in her ears, praying, 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 praying. Finally, we just cast it out and it went like, oh, this isn't. This isn't an ear problem. This is something else. So we learn, we get better. We don't blame anybody, but hey, let's learn. It takes great faith and great emotional health to keep praying in faith when we're disappointed and to keep learning and getting better instead of setting it aside. It takes great faith and great emotional health. Let's be like that. Let's be people of faith. Let's be people of emotional strength. Let me ask you this question. Who would you rather be, James or Herod? Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Who would you rather be, James or Herod? I heard a lot of people shout out James, which is the right answer, because Herod, even though in the moment he was the one who could kill people at his whim, if he wanted to gain political points, he could imprison people, he could destroy them, and he could manipulate the situation. He had that power, but of course that was going to end in his destruction, and his knee would bow before God, and he would have to face justice. In fact, this happens in Acts chapter 12, where Herod makes a nice political speech, and this is what happens. Acts 12, starting in verse 21. Let's just read this quickly. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's a rough one right there. Now, why didn't this happen before James was killed? I don't know. (laughs) But I can trust God in the midst of it. I can say, well, God is smarter than me. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to believe God. Who would you rather be, James or Herod? James, the one who was martyred early on, there's a whole lot of things he didn't get to see. A whole lot of things he didn't get to be part of. He was martyred early on, but as is inevitable, he found everlasting life with God at his end. How unjust do you think it felt in the moment when Herod, the disgusting evil king, was let by God do whatever he wants and he has James killed? How unjust would that have felt to those believers who loved him and they saw this disgusting man just murder him on a whim 
because he wants some political points. How unjust would that have felt? How many situations are you aware of right now that you see as unjust? Who would you rather be? The godless one who's doing the injustice or the believer who's a victim? Who would you rather be? We do not win by living the longer, more comfortable life. Now, if you can pull that one off, hallelujah. You know what I mean? You don't lose by living a longer, more comfortable life, but you win by staying faithful. You win by continuing to love God no matter what's going on. You win by being obedient to the end. That's how you win. James won, Herod lost. Who would you rather be? In today's world, would you rather be the one who is having injustice happen to them, but you're remaining faithful, you're remaining obedient, you're remaining in love with Jesus? Or would you envy the one who's able to pull off the injustice? Let's be James. Let's talk about Peter. Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Acts 12, we'll move to verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison. That is, after Herod arrests Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen people are guarding Peter. And as I mentioned earlier, this is going to go bad for those 16 people. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They're earnestly praying to God for Peter. Earnestly. Is there faith in their prayers? We will find out. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought that he was seeing a vision. So now this is Peter. Remember Peter and Cornelius, he's on the roof praying, and he falls into like a trance, and he sees the sheet come down. I mean, he's used to being in deep in prayer. And so he's like, wow, this is a really lucid vision. Man, it's like I can feel everything. Because, I mean, how often does an angel hit you in the side and your chains fall off? You know I mean? Like, it's easier to dream that than it is to have that actually happen. Verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself. So he wakes up into realizing, oh, I am actually here. Look at that. He came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, that's the gospel of Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. What do you think they're praying for in this prayer meeting? The church is earnestly praying to God for Peter. Peter goes to the prayer meeting. So the answer to their prayers is about to knock on the door. Literally, what happens next shows us the state of the heart of the people. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So she's pretty excited because, you know, people are getting arrested. There's persecution going on. I mean, it's probably locked and all this stuff. And so she hears a knock. Who is it? It's me, Peter. She's like, oh, it's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. Starts yelling at everybody. Rhoda's pretty excited. She's a person of faith. She's fully convinced it's Peter. Verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. So the people at the prayer meeting were praying earnestly for Peter. And Peter comes to the door. And then Rhoda says, it's Peter. What should their response be? Hallelujah. Yes. Instead, they say to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. We've been through this before. We prayed for James and it didn't happen. Quit teasing us with that. Our hearts have been broken before. We can't handle this. You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting, so now they're having an argument. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. So now they're having a theological discussion, and their conclusion is that it's more likely that there's an angel assigned to Peter that sounds like Peter that's at the door than it's actually Peter. You notice how when your heart's broken and you can't believe God for simple things, you start making up weird theology? This has got to be an angel that sounds like Peter. One thing we know for sure is Peter's in prison, so it can't be him. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Were they praying prayers of faith? They were praying prayers. They were earnest, but they did not believe it was going to happen. They were firmly convinced it was totally impossible, but they're praying anyway. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray for this, but wow, what a mess. I heard a pastor one time say, if we really believed the miracle would happen, we would pray very, 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 very short prayers. Because we'd want to see it happen. Lord, heal that foot. What happened? How you doing? But we just keep praying because we know at the end of it, it's going to be a disappointment. Well, Lord, let the foot maybe get better. And um, if there's other blessings, we'll take those. And we just want to just say we love you. And you just keep going on and on because you know at the end of it, there's not going to be a healing. And so you just drone on and on because you don't want to have that embarrassment when it doesn't happen at the end. But if we believed it would happen, you pray real quick. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. He's been outside. He's a fugitive from Herod. They won't let him in. And now he shows up, and they're probably all yelling. I mean, he's got to be kind of upset. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this. Now, this is James, the little brother of Jesus, James of the book of James. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. There were people that had to pay. These decisions are difficult, but we needed Peter. Peter's miraculous escape from prison shows that God is ready to do miracles even when our hearts are broken and we don't have the strength to believe anymore. When we're just going through the motions because we've been disappointed enough that we're afraid to truly believe and pray a prayer of faith. What does the devil want? For you to stop praying prayers of faith. He's okay with prayers of duty that don't have any faith. He's okay with mushy prayers that don't go anywhere. He's real happy when you quit praying altogether. What does your heavenly father want? For you to pray prayers of faith. 
for you to stand strong through the disappointments and continue to pray prayers of faith. If we're going to pray prayers of faith for any length of time, it means we're going to have to learn how to handle disappointment properly. Because I'm pretty sure that we're not going to get the answer we want from this day forward for the rest of our lives. We're going to have to learn how to handle disappointment and stay praying prayers of faith. So again, when we were putting this sermon together, one of the other things that Christian said was, sometimes we need to hear our prayers more than God needs to hear our prayers. I thought that was really a neat thing to say. What does that mean? Sometimes we need to hear our prayers because we need to start believing our own prayers. We need to hear them and start thinking, yeah, that could happen. God could do that. That could possibly actually happen. And when we pray our prayers and we listen to them, we can start to build our faith. I want to do two things as we close. The first thing is I want you to pray a prayer of faith. I don't know how long it's been since you've prayed a prayer of faith, but I want you to pray a believing prayer. The sort of prayer that instead of thinking that Peter can't possibly be at the door, but the sort of prayer where you peek out and look down the street. Is Peter coming yet? I'm sure he'll come. A prayer of faith. Because God wants us to pray prayers of faith. And if we can combine faith with our prayers, we'll see greater effectiveness. I'm not saying you won't still find disappointment from time to time, but we'll see greater effectiveness. So I want you to pray a prayer of faith. And I want you to look into your heart and see, is there something you used to believe for, but now you've gotten tired and disappointed and you just don't pray a prayer of faith for that anymore? I've got a prayer I prayed for 15 years after I got saved, and then I stopped believing for it. You know, 15 years is a long time. And so now I've done another 15, praying occasionally a prayer of duty with no faith. I'm going to change that back to a prayer of faith. So I'm going to give us all a moment to pray that prayer. You can pray out loud. You can just pray silently in your mind. But I want you to pray a prayer of faith. And I want it to be important. If you need to write it down so that you can continue in faith for that, write it down. And then I want to pray a prayer over you from Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to hear that prayer. And I'll embellish it a little bit so we'll go slow through that prayer. But let's just take some time first. Search your heart. See what that prayer of faith is. Now's the time. Seek it out. Find that prayer of faith and pray believing. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, that you may have strength in your heart, that you may have strength in your soul, that you may have that inner strength, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So, Father, help us to see the power of the love of Christ. Help us to know your love in its fullness, that we miss none of it, but that we see it and understand it and feel it. Let us know. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, Father, fill us 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.